Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Welcome. God bless you. Um, my name is Tom Harmon, and my wife Joyce, that little silver-haired gal there, we come to the first service, but we feel so blessed to be able to call Summit Church our home church, where we feel welcomed and feel a part of, and we just thank God for you. Though I don't get to see this group very often, it's good to see you. <clears throat> the first service, uh, I went a little over, so you can start praying right now. <laughs> And I'll amp it up a little or something. So you, the poor children's <laughs> ministries, I know. And then you did great, Katie. Just, you blamed it on your dad. Kind of made it a little easier. <laughs> Him last week was over. Never mind. <clears throat> um, it's what I'd like to do is have us do a responsive reading. We're in the book of James. I've just been assigned 10 verses, James 4, 1 through 10, that we'll be looking at. We're going to read them responsively. Um, so I hate to have you stand up again, but would you mind standing up again? How many of you know what re responsive reading is? Or I'll read the first verse, you read the second verse. So that forces you to get into the text. <laughs> Never mind. And <clears throat> this is a, not an easy text. I have the old King James that I grew up on uh, when I committed my life to Christ 45 years ago. And that's what I've always had. So. But man, the language in that sounds so harsh to this culture. So I've chosen, uh, by the way, how many, how many of you have an NIV Bible? New, New International. Okay, how many of you have an ESV, English Standard? Anybody have a New American Standard? Okay, so do any of you have the New Living Translation? Okay, that's the one I've chosen to read out of because it is, I don't want to say softer, it's still saying the same things, but n not quite as hard. Never mind. <clears throat> Would you put that up there for us? I'm going to read the first verse, and then you as a congregation read the second. I'll read through this text, and I think it's good for us. Give attendance to reading, Paul told Timothy, so it's good to read the word. What is causing quarrels among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. What do you think the scriptures mean? when they say that the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, jealously longs for us to be faithful. Us more more 
So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let there be tears for the wrong things you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. You can be seated. Thank you. I need a disclaimer before I preach this message. Uh, I did this in the first service. I'll do it here. I have a lot to learn. Your preacher is a student. I've been in preaching ministry for 40 years now. We retired from itinerant preaching in 2019, November of 2019. I still feel like a student. There's so much uh, I have to learn. I, I look at Scripture, and it's almost like I'm looking at it through a welder's mask. Paul said through a glass darkly, and that's what I just interpret that. I'll look at the scriptures, and boy, a lot of this just isn't as clear as it needs to be. And every once in a while, I see an arc, you know, and oh, I get it, and I see that for a moment or two. Then it's back to some of the translations said, because Paul said, we know in part and we prophesy it in part. How you know, no preacher of the word of God's got it all figured out. Would you agree with that? We're, they, we're all learning in this. So, and then James... <laughs> James is a good book. It's a, he was called the apostle of faith. John was called the apostle of love. And Peter was called the apostle of hope. And the, now by these three, and these guys emphasize these things. And they have certain groups that they're called to minister to and they're writing to and need to know some of the background of those people. And it's just not easy sometimes to come up with, what is that really saying? But I think that the Spirit of God, who is our teacher, will take our frailties and speak to us and reveal truth to us. It'll guide us along in our journey. By the way, just this advice, always see God bigger than your theology. Do you know what I mean by that? Isaiah, what is it, 55 or 56? It's on this page inside column and in Isaiah somewhere. And it says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, saith the Lord, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Would you just say amen to that? So let God be God, and we are, we are not. We're the, we're the learners. How of you know God won't be any smarter this time next year than he is right now? How of you hope we are? Somebody please say amen. Okay. And it comes through the, the word. We teach and preach the word of God and things, we embrace them. So I'd appreciate your prayers for me as I try to, to work through this. I've really enjoyed studying James when I was trying to pastor. After I resigned from police work, and uh, I had this opportunity to practice preaching on this little group, little congregation north of Lansing. The first book that I did was the book of James. And uh, I memorized it with our children. We memorized it, and I preached from it. <laughs> Boy, was that dangerous. I did not know what, a lot of what I was saying. I understand it a little better now. But, uh, wow, it's good stuff. Well, <clears throat> we're going to look at four questions to get us going. Question number one, who is James writing to? Who's he writing? Who in the world is he writing to? And my old translation said, ye adulterers and adulteresses. I mean, 
Who in the world is he writing to? That needs to be established. And then number two, is it possible to be a carnal Christian? Is it possible to be a fleshly Christian? To the sinful impulses that are in our flesh to do evil. Is it possible to be a Christian and have those kinds of things? Number three, is it possible to be a worldly Christian? Question number four, is it possible for a Christian to yield to the temptations of Satan? Just, just begin to roll those around in your mind. We'll leave them up there and we'll try to unpack some thoughts with that. Question number one, who is he writing to? <clears throat> James chapter 1 and verse 18, verse 17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The next verse says, Of his own will begot he us by the word of truth. You know what that, he's writing to? He's writing to people that have been begotten of God. They're born again people. He's writing to Christians, early church Christians. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, excuse me, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, his half-brother, same mother, he says, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad, greetings. This is the first epistle written. Now, there's some debate, maybe Paul says Galatians, or some people say it was. I'm... I'm comfortable with saying this is the first letter to the church, early church. James, it says in James, excuse me, in Galatians, Paul made, excuse me, yes, in James, in Galatians, I can see it in my mind, it's on this page, outside column, in Galatians chapter 2, down about right here. You can find it, can't you see it, folks? Okay. I shouldn't be doing this. And he says, Paul says, when he went down to Jerusalem, that James, name mentioned first, James, Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and John, who were pillars in the church, they gave to Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship and said, you go to the Gentiles and we're going to go to the Jews. They were, this is the church in Jerusalem that James is a very significant, he's, a, he's an extremely important apostle in the church in Jerusalem. So who's he writing to? To the tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings, he said. In Acts chapter 7, if you're familiar in your Bibles, in Acts chapter 7, now the church has got to the place where they need leadership. The apostles just can't handle all the responsibilities and trying to do everything. So they said, seek for yourselves seven men full of honest report. And the deacons, the people are going to go serve. And they found a man by the name of Stephen. Philip was an evangelist. Those men that are in there, they were full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen is preaching to the Jews. We're talking Jerusalem still. He's preaching to them. And while he's preaching to them, he ends, they love his message. By the way, he's taking them through their whole history of Abraham, Isaac. We are children of Abraham. You know, he's preaching to this group. But when he gets to the end of his sermon, here's how the Holy Spirit has him concluded. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so also do ye said they begin to grind their teeth. They stoned him. They took rocks and killed him. How many of you know that's not a good conclusion to a sermon? Please say amen. I don't want that to happen this morning. I just as soon you leave them Bibles in your laps, okay? No, never mind. The rock, never mind. You don't get it. That's all right. Now, 
at the end of that. And by the way, don't think that the Holy Spirit wasn't at work in the Old Testament. He said, you resist him just like your fathers did. This is pre-Christ, pre-cross. The Holy Spirit was still working in the lives of his people in the days of the Old Testament. Now, they stone him. On the heels of that, Acts chapter 8, verse 3, Paul, who's not saved yet, who was endorsing the stoning of Stephen and watched Stephen die and said, and he saw Stephen say, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. That's not your normal response. I think the Holy Spirit used that to bother Paul a long time. That was one of those goads that the Holy Spirit was saying, remember that? that that's the way my children die. And he's, he's strong with it. The Apostle Paul, then Paul now is wreaking havoc among the church. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. He's going into homes and he's separating parents from children and children from parents, taking them to prison. Some are tried and some are executed for no other charge than for being a Christian. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now that was 3. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. He's talking to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. He's talking to people that this letter may be being read by people that were in the upper room at Pentecost. That's how early this is, his letter. Some of these guys, can you imagine being a part of that 120 when the Spirit of God came? Peter's first sermon, anointed, 3,000 get saved. Some of them guys might have been the 3,000 that he's writing to. That have, read, that have read this text. That's how early this letter is. That's how early this ministry is. That's who he's writing to. He's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Jewish mainly. Jewish mindsets. But he's writing to the church where there is no Greek. No Jew, no Greek, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but all are in Christ. If you're in the church, it's because of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about in the building. We're talking about in the body. How many of you follow what I just said? We're talking about being in Christ. So I believe that's who he's writing to. Now, excuse me, question number two. So he's writing to us. If you're a believer, this is for us. Question number two. Is it possible to be a carnal, fleshly, old nature, living Christian? Let me read verses one through three for us again. From where, I'm going to read it to you out of my translation. From where come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hear even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war. A war is a hostile encounter going on within the church? Come on. Surely that would never happen. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, mine says. You missed it. That you may consume it upon your lust. Your lust, our fleshly lust. The nature of sin that still lives in us as believers. Does it want to rule us? Yeah. The spirit lusts against the flesh and flesh against the spirit. And the two are contrary, the one to the other. He's writing to believers that are struggling whether I'm going to be a carnal Christian or a spiritual Christian. In Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, it says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. Let not sin therefore reign. You don't eradicate it, but it shouldn't rule you. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust. There it is again. You lust and you have not. Paul's saying the same thing. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No. There's something that we don't have to have that old nature. You don't eradicate it. It don't go away. But you don't yield yourself. It does not have dominion or rule in your life. That's what he's telling us. This should not be. But can it be? Can a person be a believer in Jesus Christ and be run by the old man? You ought to answer those questions. Well, let me give you this illustration. Peter, Acts chapter 10. Now, Paul gets saved in Acts chapter 9. Finally, he's a, he's a Christian. But in Acts chapter 10, Peter's in Joppa, Mediterranean coast. If you're familiar at all what's going on in Israel, you can have a mental picture of this. Gaza strips down here, okay? And here is Joppa, and Peter's in Joppa. He's at a man's house named Simon, and he's about to have a meal. And Simon says, I'll have it ready in a couple hours. Peter said, I'm going to go up and pray. He goes up and prays, and during prayer, he falls into a trance, mind says, but well, he has a vision, and God speaks to Peter about, <clears throat> take Peter, kill and eat. How many of you are familiar with this scene? The sheets that he lowers with all the unclean animals, he says, take, and Peter said, no, 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 I ain't going to do it three times in a row. Finally, God said, well, there's some guys going to come downstairs. They're going to want you to go with them. Go with them, and I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. Okay. So the guys come in and say, hey, Peter, these guys come in. He said, okay. So they head on up the coast, 35 miles from Joppa up to Caesarea. And there's a man by the name of Cornelius. He's an Italian. He is a centurion. He is the commander of the Italian band. Now, Caesarea was made by Herod for Caesar. That's why they call it Caesarea. And he gave it as a gift. It's a retirement community for the upper echelon political figures and military figures. So they don't have this crack. The Italian band would be like our Navy SEALs, our... Army Rangers, Green Berets, the, the, the elite, the, the, the guys that are highly trained in their jobs. And they're all army. I mean, they're all serious. They're all business. And so Cornelius, he's sick of the Roman gods. He's stationed up there. He's, he doesn't have duty in Jerusalem. They always gave that to mercenary soldiers. It's, uh, it was bad duty. There was always trouble in Jerusalem. But up here, this is kind of a cool place. And he has responsibility to make sure everything runs right. So he's tired of the Roman gods. He's... He's been drawn toward the God of Israel, the one God, and he's given money to build a synagogue. He offers prayers and alms, and while he's praying, an angel of God comes to him. I do not understand this. I don't know how this works, but an angel of God comes to him and says to him, your prayers and alms have come up for a memorial before God. He said, now you send some of your servants down to Joppa. There's a man in a house who's owned by Simon, there's a man there by the name of Peter, he will come and tell you all things. That's significant. I thought, when I first read it, I said, God, why take the time? Just have the angel tell him the gospel. How do you know that God did not entrust the gospel to angels, but to you and me? Come on, say amen to this. See, we got the response. God, do you realize the privilege we have of being in on the Great Commission? That we could share the gospel with someone and they could step out of darkness into light from headed to hell to headed to heaven, from in bondage to free. That we could be the... The, we get the blessing of doing this, of sharing the gospel with people. So here's what happened. Peter says, okay, up to Caesarea. When he walks into the house, by the way, which for a Jew, this is an order. How do you know Peter is still struggling? Paul rebukes him in his 
first letter to the church at Galatia, chapter 2, for being a hypocrite. He calls Peter, the preacher at Pentecost, a hypocrite, if you can imagine this. Poor Peter. He was so steeped in the law. Oh, my goodness, this poor guy. So he's not even supposed to go into a Gentile's house, let alone a Roman commanding officer. But he, you sure you want me going in there? Okay, he goes in. And here's what Cornelius does. Cornelius, a commander, runs over, falls down, and begins to worship Peter. Now, Peter's really going to do something's outside his box. You ain't even supposed to touch a Gentile. In ceremony, you'd be unclean. He's not under law, but under grace. He's still learning. It says he took him and stood him up and says, Oh, don't do this. I am a man also like yourself. You realize what's happening to Peter right now? How do you know they always saw him a little cut above the jig? This is a big deal. Let me, let me cut this short. How do you know all of us have one thing in common? We're all sinners. Please say amen. It'll help me with this. We're also, we're just sinners. We're just man. Let me give you another one. Acts chapter 14. Well, 11, Paul and Barnabas separated by the Holy Spirit. Missionary journey, they lay hands on. They take off and they go to Cyprus and then on up to uh, Asia, which is the province of Galatia and Lystra, Derbe, and Iconium. Those three, that's how that's Paul writes his first letter. Well, when Paul and Barnabas come into Lystra, they're preaching street, preaching away to Gentiles because God has called him, separated him. He commissioned him the day he got saved. I'm sending you to a people that are not your own. I want you to go and open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive their inheritance, their forgiveness of sins. How have you, Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. How have you glad that Paul took the gospel to the Gentiles? <laughs> this is a big deal, folks. So, see, <clears throat> Paul goes... Um, Paul, while he's standing there, preaching away, he looks over at a man, and it says, Paul perceived that this man, who'd never walked a step in his life, he, from birth, he's been crippled. He's sitting, maybe on a pad or something. He's never walked. And Paul perceived that he had, I don't know how Paul perceived, I don't know how you do that. Would any of you say, I don't know how they do that? I don't know how they do that. He said, I perceive he's got faith to be healed. Stand up and walk. And the guy stood up and walked. Here was the response of the people he was preaching to in Lystra, which is a Greek, it's a Roman province, but it's a Greek culture. The gods, guess what they do? Oh, they, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they call Barnabas Mercury, or Paul, uh, called him Jupiter and called Paul Mercury. That's two Greek gods. And they said, get some animals. We're going to sacrifice them. We're going to have a feast. The gods have come. And Paul and Barnabas realized what was going on. It says they tore their you can read this in Acts 4. They tore their clothes to get attention. What are you doing? And they ran among the people and said, get up, quit. Don't you dare bow to Here's what they said to him. We also are men of like passions like you. The apostles. Let me give you one more. By the way, if you say amen every once in a while, I'll speed this up. <laughs> you see, we don't have anything after this service. <laughs> Now, I don't want to threaten you. I just want to encourage you. I spent more time than I should have left, but I'm enjoying this. I'll enjoy it enough for all of us, but you should enjoy it a little, okay? Now, I get a couple of weeks to prepare for this one short sermon. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Anybody know? Oh, yeah. James chapter 5, verse 17. This is, the, okay, just over the page from where our text is today. It says this. James 5, 17, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Stop and think about that. 
Paul said, we are men of like passions as you, these people that want to worship man. How many of you have lived long enough to know you should not worship man? No man, no matter how good he is. You don't worship men. <clears throat> Elijah was a man. Who is Elijah? Let me give you the picture again. Mediterranean. Mount Carmel. Valley of Jezreel. Sea of Galilee. You know where we're at? He calls for a showdown between the prophets of Baal and God. How are you familiar with this? Because I, I love this. I could preach the rest of the time just on this. I just love this. Here's what happens. He said, okay. You make your offering, sacrifice, said, you dance around, you call down fire. Because he said, listen, how long, how, how long will you halt you between two opinions? If Jehovah, Yahweh is God, then serve him. But if Baal's God, then serve him. But quit trying to do both. Did you get that? Quit trying to do both. Nothing happens. Bill says, soak it, soak it, soak it. I know this is quick, but if you know your Bibles, you're following me. He soaked it. Elijah said, is that too quick? How many of you followed that? Do you know what just happened? Fire from heaven. Licked up at stones, but 450 prophets of Baal. This is a banner day for Israel. Say amen. Would you agree with that? From the lips of a harlot on the very same day. Someone will get you for this. And he took off. You know what I've done? A little more fire. Smoked old Jezebel, right? Never mind. We'll end this story. Say amen to that. But he didn't. You know what he did? He ran. He ran 40 days and 40 nights from way up in Mount Carmel down through Israel. And he got Gulf of Suez, Gulf of Aquaba and Suez, Sinai Peninsula. In the middle of it is Mount Horeb, where he ran to, or Sinai, in the wilderness of sin. This is where the children of Israel died, generations of them in this wilderness. And that's where he runs. And he finds himself in a cave. Elijah was a man subject to like passions. He's in a cave. This is my favorite part of the whole account of, Isaiah, of Elijah. When he's there in a cave, God says to him, what are you doing here? Have you ever been there before? And you've been someplace you know you shouldn't be, and God said, He let you run. Why? What are you doing here? You know what I said? Why didn't you ask me that before I left? Okay, <laughs> save me all the run. Come on. But He lets us run, doesn't He? Is it possible for a Christian to be a carnal Christian? Romans 17, 7, 18, Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. When you can't find something, you're looking in the wrong place. When you're looking for yourself, looking to yourselves, you'll never find the grace. You'll never find the strength. You'll never find the person we're supposed to be because that's in Christ. That's the new man. Answer the question, is it possible? I believe it is. Question number two, number three. Is it possible to be a worldly Christian? Let me read verse 4. If he's writing to Christians, why would he use language like this? You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Whoa. Is it possible to be a worldly Christian? Let me say what he's not saying about the world. He's not talking about humanity as a whole. For God so loved the world 
What he's talking about is all that which is under the domain and control of Satan. Let me give you the scripture. John 16, 8, and when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In John, that same chapter, just three verses down, it says this, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The prince of this world is Satan. You're in the garden. The fall takes place. Man was given authority over the world. Satan usurped his authority, and now he became the ruler or the prince of this world. The world here is referring to all that which is under the domain and control of Satan, where his influence is. Let me give you a verse, Colossians 2, 8. Beware, that's a military term, be on guard. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the rudiments of the world, the foundations of the world, and not after Christ. Satan has his fingerprints on everything that is in this world that God intended for good. Is all he wants to do is one fly in the ointment. Let me put my finger in the bowl. You go out to eat after church, and your waiter or waitress brings your drink to you with his thumb or her thumb, and your could you get me another one and hang on to the handle? Say amen, please. Because <laughs> you don't want his thumb. Well, everything you and I drink, eat, smell, taste, he's got his fingerprint on it. He's just touched it. Art, literature, science, politics, government, law, courts, education. All intended for good. Medicine, home, marriage, family, church, sports, entertainment, music, fashion, blah, 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 blah. We could go on and on. He's contaminated everything in our world that we live in. That's what we need to be aware of, not to fall in love with. Jesus is praying for his disciples. John chapter 17. He says, oh, Father, don't take them out of the world. Just keep them from the evil one. He says, be in it, just don't be of it. How do you know that being in it is easy? Say amen. We're in it. Up to our nostrils, we're in it. But don't be of it. Well, what is worldly? This week, we went with a couple of friends from the church, and we went to Shipshawana. This is some of the stuff I eliminated in the first one, but eh, okay. I'm sorry. And while we were there, it, must, it was on a Friday. <clears throat> it must have been Amish shopping day. Because I tell you, Shipshawana was... Did you know that the Amish broke off from the Mennonite? Because the Mennonite were getting too worldly. They started wearing bright-colored clothes. Some of them even got cars, machines. They're getting modern. <laughs> if it's all I had to do was get me a, a cart and a horse, a beard and a bonnet, I'd do it if it kept me from being worldly. Any of you got what I just tried to say? Where do you go with this worldly? What's worldly and what's not worldly? I confess, this ain't easy to figure out what is in a world that he's got his fingerprints on every last thing. It becomes relative. You're whirling in comparison to him, but he's whirling in comparison to them. 
I think the point is, don't love it. Love, not friendship. Snuggle up with. No difference between me and the world. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passed away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. In a world where Satan's fingerprinted everything we do. Luke 12, 15, take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. The most important things in life are not things, and yet you and I live in a culture that measures the worth of people by the things they have. From the car they drive, to the house they live in, to the clothes they wear, the education they acquire, to the vacations they take, and on and on and on. That will not be God's yardstick when we're judged if we're worldly. It's hard to know. By the way, is there anything wrong with a vacation? I hope not. Because I'm due one. No, that's not. Don't we? How do you ever feel like, I've got to get away? Two of you. God bless this bunch. Okay, come on. What do you want to get away? I want to get away from the things. I just, I just, it's just hard to, it's hard to figure that out. It has more to do with an attitude toward. Is it dangerous, the things? Yeah. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, there was a man by the name of Demas who in Colossians chapter 4, and I think it's 12. It's on this side, outside column. It's after 10 because that's Epaphras, and I can't see the other ones right now. But it says, He's signing off salutations from Luke, my beloved physician, and Demas, his faithful helper. Demas. When Paul wrote a letter to Philemon, he commended Demas as his helper in his first imprisonment in Rome. This is a guy that's running with the big dogs. This is a guy that's serving Jesus. In Paul's last letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Demoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is returned again unto Thessalonica. That was his hometown. The pull's strong. The world wants us to... How are you know it's so easy for me to stand up here and preach, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the... The world is relentless in its desire to conform us and make us look no different than itself. Is it possible for a Christian to be a worldly Christian? I didn't say this in the first service because I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> I think it is very difficult in America to be a Christian and in the church and not be worldly. It's left a mark on me. How I feel, how I think, governs a lot of my attitudes toward what's important and what's not. And it has to do with... And by the way, I can tell you this. When a person gives themselves into worldliness, the gate or the door that opens that is the flesh. The flesh opens up the, war to world, the, the door to worldliness and to satanic influence. Let me give you the verse in James chapter 1, verse 12. 
says this, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, not if he's tried, when he is tried, he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised them that love him. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And when lust hath conceived, you know what conception demands? Union. My vulnerability that's in me already, and I'm in a world that's pulling me that direction. How do you know that the world will never pull us close to God? And they get together, and guess what they come up with? An agreement. And they produce a child. It's called sin. And guess what it does? It draws us away from God. It's there. It's in us. It's part of that. This is who he's writing to us. Is it possible? Well, does God provide any escape routes? Yes. 2 Peter chapter 1, 2, and 3, listen to this. With regard to the world, is it possible to be a Christian, to be worldly, or be a worldly Christian? 2 Peter chapter 2, verse, no, chapter 1, verse 2, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us unto glory and virtue, by which are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruptions that are in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Is there a possibility to live in the world but not be of it? Yes, there is an escape route. And it's not an easy one. But it is definitely one that's possible. It didn't leave us without hope. Oh, my. Anybody know where we're at? Did I get number four done yet? Is it possible? No. Yeah. Let me just make a comment on verse five. There's two takes on it, and both are appropriate, and both are valid. They're both legitimate. Mine says, the Scriptures talk about the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy. If you read your Old Testament scriptures, you will see this same problem in the life of Noah. Can you imagine building a boat all them years, surviving the flood, and afterwards getting drunk, getting naked, and cursing a son? Abraham, how do you know that guy had some issues? This is the father of faith, the father of us all. But he had some issues. God tell him to do something. He lie about his wife. That whole Hagar gig, he was in favor of that. He knew better than that. Say amen, would you please? He knew better than this. It's, it's not that I don't know better than this, but sometimes I do it anyway. Is that in us? Is that who he's really writing to? Um, and then it says about the spirit, uppercase S, if you, up, if you capitalize that being the spirit of God, which you can do, it says he lusteth the envy within us. In other words, the Holy Spirit desires to manifest himself and his power in our life. How do you know that the Holy Spirit wants us to be better Christians than most of us are? Would you agree with that? So we can't blame God. His Spirit longs for us to, to live a better Christian life and gives us everything we need for life and godliness to do it. So, okay, let me see what... Let me go to this one. But he giveth more grace, verse 6. That's the message. Uh, I wrote, I've written seven books. Number six was titled, But He Giveth More Grace. That was, that was the title of that book. I cried more writing that book than all the rest of the books put together. Because I got news for you. I have one claim to fame, and it's the grace of God. Did you know I could be a pimp today rather than a preacher? I could be in prison today rather than a pulpit were it not for the grace of God. 
a vulgar, immoral, slave-trading sea captain, wrote a song. And it was amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a guy that was really deserving, a good guy, kind of like me. Did you know what he said? A wretch like me. Where did he get that from? Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Not, not past tense, before I came to Jesus. Present tense, as I'm writing holy scripture, he says, oh, wretched man, not that I was, but that I am. Now, we don't like to hear that about ourselves. But I have capacity within me to Demas. I have capacity in me to submit to the lust of the flesh, but I also have a capacity within me to live for God. The power is His grace and His Spirit. <clears throat> he giveth more grace. Grace is God's divine enabling power for me to do what He's called me to do. I can't even be saved without it. He calls us to salvation. I can't get saved without the grace of God. His divine enabling power. Let me give you the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always with all sufficiency in all things might abound unto every good work. God's grace will never help you do evil works. But God's grace will always help you do good works. And that's what good works are part of it. <laughs> is my salvation... Listen... I'm going to say this right. The gospel of grace exalts Jesus Christ. The gospel of works exalts man. And if you are saved by works, then you've got to be kept by works. But if you are saved by grace, then you are kept by grace. And the grace comes from God. First Peter chapter, no, for, for a second. On this page. By the way, people, I do have a photographic memory. That's not fair. I didn't always have that. But when you see me, that dove-eyed stare in the no man's land, I'm seeing scripture. Like I can see my hand, I can see them. But the numbers are not inspired, and they don't always show up. Okay, but I, I know the... <laughs> Would you somebody help me know what I just said? How do you know your Bibles? You know where it's at, but you can't give them the numbers. Here it is. I went blank. I don't even know what the scripture was now that I told you that. Ah, No. I don't know why I even write notes. Boy, I'm really eliminating stuff. It's okay. You want out on time? It's okay. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul says, I got a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what it was. You can speculate, and that's okay, but we do not know what it was, or he'd have told us specifically, this is what it is. But whatever it was bothered him, and he did not like it, and he said, God, will you take it away? Will you take it away? Will you take it away? Three times, which in Hebrew understanding, that means a multitude of times, he said, will you take this thing away? And God gave him an answer. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. His grace is still sufficient for us. Oh, dear church of God, who has potential to be a carnal Christian who has the potential to be a worldly Christian has potential to yield to the devil's temptations. Listen to this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 says this. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And lovingly, let me say this. All of us need to be cured from the illusion of self-sufficiency. You and I cannot live this Christian life apart 
from His grace. You try it, you've got to work salvation. If you're dependent upon His power, and His power is the power of grace, the power of the cross. I am so self-absorbed, so self-centered, so self-righteous, so selfish, I would contaminate all everything. I, I would say to God, you owe me because of what I've done. The curse of sin is more sin. Where sin abounded, it abounded and abounded. Grace did much more abound. God cures from self-sufficiency. And may we acknowledge our absolute dependency upon you. Not our independence, that's the, that's the flesh. But our total dependence upon you, it requires repentance. God, I can't do this. And it's okay, because nobody else can either. Nobody else can live the Christian life without Christ. The God of all grace. The one who's full of grace and truth. Law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You humble yourself and you find yourself before the throne of grace and say, have mercy. Never ask God for grace after you've sinned. That's not how you get cleansing from sin. Ask him for mercy that you may Find grace to help you in time of need. The next time the tempter comes, the next time the world's pull is strong, the next time you're catering in your own mind, setting yourself up for failure with some sin, humble yourself and cry out to God for grace. Boldly, knowing that he gives us grace. Grace greater than our sins. I want to talk one thing about the enemy. It says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word submit means this. To surrender your will to the will or authority of another. To submit your will to the will or authority of another. Submit yourselves to God first, then resist the devil. You try to resist the devil without being submitted to God, he will laugh at you. He will have you over for a meal and you will be it. He will devour you. You're no match. He's no match for Jesus. But we're no match for him. Your will... In the garden, let me give you this one first. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So he said, pray after this manner. And then he gave him a prayer. Here's what it says. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Somebody help me. Thy will be done. Jesus in the garden, agony. Disciples, Peter, James, and John, a stone's throw over. He knelt and cried out to God. said, Father, all things are possible. If thou wilt, let the cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Somebody help me. How many of you know that preaches easy and lives hard when we are so willful? Would you agree with that? I have a will. Are any of you strong-willed? I'm not either. I'm not taking this alone. Is anybody here strong-willed when they want to do something? Oh, man, it's amazing the things we bend to fit our will. Never let, never let anyone tell you when you got saved, your sinful desires all go away, the world loses its desires, its appeal to you, and the devil leaves you alone. That is a lie from the pit of hell. He shows up in Genesis 3 in the garden, and the last you hear of him is Revelations 20.10. And all throughout there, we're going to have to struggle because he's the prince of this world and knows how to use the sinful impulses that are already there, the world that's everywhere. I look, 
lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, to keep me from being a spiritual Christian. To my shame, there have been times that I have acted more like a child of the devil than like a child of God. Christian. I'm not talking, oh, but since I've been saved 40 years, oh, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, I haven't. There have been times my wife has told me, she said, Tom, I get angry, and not just angry, demonic rage, nuts, go nuts. Take a misdemeanor, turn it into a felony. I mean, I'm just an idiot. She said, I could see the devil in your eyes when you were like that. It hurt me when I first, you know what, she's right. Because I was acting more like a child of the devil than like a child. Are you letting me take this one alone, or does anybody know what I'm saying? As Christians, you've had times when the devil's just another notch. It doesn't have to be that way. Are you ready for a little good news? There's a God in heaven who loves us. Say amen to that. And he's the God of all hope, and he says... Let me tell you some good news. He says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Did you know that man is the only creature on earth that can draw near to God and God draw near to them? The only creature. Your dog, your cat, and your horse can't draw near to God and God will not. I'll try another one. Did you know that lions and tigers and bears cannot draw near to God? Did you know snakes and alligators and crocodiles? I'm going to keep this up until you start saying amen now. You go down through the whole animal kingdom and nothing in the animal kingdom can draw near to God. And we are not in the animal kingdom. We have been created in the likeness of God Almighty. And he says, now you draw near to me and I'll respond. I'll draw near to you. Don't let this sinful impulses and stuff run your life. Don't let the world's pull override you. Being and shine as a light in, a, in the midst of a crooked... You can do this by my grace and my grace alone. Amen. Your dependence upon me, not your independence from me. Not just trust God that he gives you eternal life. Man, eternal life starts the moment Jesus comes into your heart, into your life. Now we can live the Christian life. And without it, you can't. You can't pull off Christian living without Christ. Say amen to that. I need him. Five incentives. By the way, how do you draw, how, how you're drawn away from God? Let me give you, stop going to church. Just stop going to church and see what happens. No, don't stop going to church. Hebrews 10, 20, let us not forsake the assembly. You see a person say, I ain't going to church anymore. Hang on. Stop reading your Bible. Stop serving. Start running with the wrong crowd. Ignore your conscience. Paul told Timothy, the faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have erred. They run off the tracks. Don't ignore your conscience. Stop giving thanks. Stop private worship. Your worship better be more than just the songs we sing here on Sunday morning. Your worship ought to be when you step out and see the moon at night or the heavens declare, and you can't help but say, glory to God. Hallelujah. You're going to be mowing your lawn before you know it. I know that sounds weird in January. How you've lived long enough knows she's going by in a blur. When you smell the fragrance of the fresh grass clippings, say hallelujah. Then you can smell it. Glory to God. Praise Jesus. You stop doing that. 
and you will be drawn away from God. So how do you get back with them? Five incentives. Number one, he responds. Draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Have you ever tried to get close to somebody that gave you the stiff arm? I have. I'm not mentioning any names, but... Don't you hate that as a husband and wife? You've done something. You want instant forgiveness and restoration immediately. Anybody know what I just said or not? And you get... You want... God will never stiff arm you. You draw near to him and he will draw near to you or else he's lying. The closer the shepherd, the safer the sheep. The closer, get as close to, draw near. The closer you get to God, the safer you're going to be in this world. You know what a lion and a wolf does? They pick off the ones who are on the perimeter. They don't get in there that shepherd whose rod and staff says, you get near me and I'm going to TKO you. That's in Luke 87. I didn't know TKO was in the Bible. It's not. The closer you get to God, the better you'll hear him. My sheep hear my voice. I was in the bathroom just this week. Joyce's in the kitchen. She's got the dryer running. I'm in the... And she's talking. I can hear her talking. I can't make out a word she's saying. When I got in the bathroom, I said, wait just a minute, I can't hear you. And I went out of the kitchen where she's at. I said, what'd you say? And I understood every word she said. The closer you get to God, the better you'll be able to hear his voice. And number four, you'll see better. Job 42.5, if you know anything about the book of Job, it gets to the end of it, he said, I've heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes see it. He finally got it. He finally got, took all the book of Job, all the things he went through, and he finally got it because he was close. And number five, it's good for me to... You want to be self-centered in some ways? If you want the best out of this life? It's good for you to draw near. How do you know that God will not be any better when you draw near to him? But I will. Do yourself a favor. Give your fears a rest. Give your worries a vacation. Draw near to God. And we can. We just can't do it by ourselves. He gives more grace, and the reason he gives it, because we need it. The divine labor and power says, get up, come on. Let's go. Don't stay down. You're far away. Don't, don't let the devil tell you you've sinned some sin that he can't forgive you for. Get him, get after him. And we will be glad we have. Team, I'm sorry I was supposed to call you up earlier. So hustle. Okay. <laughs> Would, should I have them stand, Chuck, or no? Because you have the announcements afterwards. Never mind. We'll, I forget. I'm here every Sunday, but I forget the routine. I do. Um, I'm going to pray. Well, how many of you would say, Tom, something you said this morning God emphasized in my own life and I need some prayer. World, flesh, devil, I don't care what it is. You say, would you remember me in this prayer? Anybody else? Because I'm praying for me. If you want in on it, raise your hand, okay? <laughs> How do you know your preacher needs help? Would you say amen to that? You ought to pray for the preachers next week, Pastor Dan, Chuck, anybody steps in the pulpit. What they're preaching is what they need. We all need it. This is, this is the truth we need. So I'm going to pray and uh,
And then I'll turn it over to Pastor Chuck. Well, Lord, here we are again. Hallelujah. We can come to you again and again and again. You are God. And we are not. <laughs> the lie that Satan told Eve was, you will. And boy, the door opened. You will be like, no. That was a lie. It was believed and we were deceived. We inherited that. And God, though, I wish my sinful impulses would go away, but we know better than that. We still have lust of the flesh as Christians, and we can be carnal, carnivorous, fleshly. We can be worldly, but God, you've got a better agenda for us than that. We can be in it, but not of it. We can overcome the world by faith. Faith and grace, just the same commodities we got saved by. As ye have received the Christ Jesus the Lord, by grace and faith, so walk ye in him. God, it's our walk we're talking about. We're not talking about people on the outside looking in. We're talking about those of us who are in the church, believers. And God, all of us need your grace upon us. We want to stand strong. We want a strong faith. In an ever-darkening world, as we are approaching the day of your appearing, we want to be found faithful. As Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course, kept the faith. We don't want to end up shipwrecked. God, I know even as I grow older, I would wish for an easier path. In some ways, getting older gets harder. There's a vulnerability to these arenas that we fight in. I need your help. Whether a new believer, a seasoned veteran, or anything in between, we cry out and ask you for more grace today. Give us more grace to strap something on and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And give up on our own efforts, our own energy, never trusting in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And you have placed your spirit within us and raised us to a new life, to life everlasting. Cleanse us, purify us, strengthen us, because we don't know where else to go. You alone have the words of eternal life. So we bless you and we thank you. And we give you all the praise. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 